Setting coordinates. Outlaw located. Hi, I'm Ryan McCarthy, and welcome to The Stolen Goods. This podcast is all about outlaws, bandits, and scourges of the seven seas. Every week, we're going to take a look at a different one of these characters and learn about them. We'll shine the spotlight on some of the most infamous bandits, outlaws, and pirates in history, and even dig deeper to learn about some that maybe you haven't heard of before. I am not a historian, nor do I claim to be an expert on the topic. I'm just a guy who thinks this type of stuff is rad and wants to learn more about it. So grab your bow and arrow, six-shooter, and bag of and join me as we walk the plank and plunge into the lawless world of banditry and swashbucklery. Is that a word? Together. All right. And welcome to The Stolen Goods. My name is Ryan McCarthy. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm just going to upfront apologize. My voice is just destroyed. Um... I was at an event this weekend and uh, with some friends, and there was a lot of hooting and hollering going on. Let's just put it that way. And um, my voice is paying the price. But the show must go on, and we have a great episode this week, so we're going to get into it. And uh, if you're listening to it on a platform that has some sort of rating uh, mechanism to it where you can give it stars or comments or whatever, um, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could uh, drop some warm words if you are uh enjoying the podcast and um we uh we're gonna get into this episode now so we've been kind of um playing around with some uh some different types of bandits and outlaws and i think it's time to go back to the uh the golden age of piracy so uh, we're gonna we're gonna come we're gonna go back to the uh early 1700s so today uh, we are talking about a guy who was not a good guy. Um, you know, a lot of these guys aren't good guys, but some of them are a little bit more um, scrupulous than others. Uh, but today we're talking about Charles Vane. And uh, yeah, this guy uh, built himself quite the reputation um, as a ruthless pirate. So uh, what do you say? Without further ado... Because I don't know how long my voice is going to make it. So let's just jump into it. Let's get into the time machine. And let's go back there. And let's check it out right now. So here we are on Wednesday, July 31st, 1715. Now I know what you're thinking. 1715, Ryan, we normally go back to the day the outlaw in question was born. And I would say that is very astute of you. But the truth is, is that we don't really know when Charles Vane was born. It was somewhere around 1680, about the same time that Edward Thatch, a.k.a. Blackbeard, was born. And some people like to call Blackbeard, say his last name is Teach, but I'm Team Thatch all the way. So what are we doing here, now? What was so important about July 31st, 1715? That was the day of the famous hurricane that wrecked the 11-ship Spanish fleet off the coast of Florida that carried a huge amount of silver that got ransacked by basically every able-bodied pirate, privateer, and islander with a boat within a 100-mile radius. And I'm probably being pretty conservative about that radius. But what's the deal with the shipwreck? It completely fascinates millions, and it seems to be the catalyst for dozens of pirates in the Golden Age of Piracy. So let's take a look at it. So, ever since Spain first colonized South America in 1493, 
Spain needed a way to transport all the exotic goods, spices, and resources from the New World to the old continent. And once the cat was out of the bag, that the Spanish were transporting valuable goods across the Atlantic, they had a target on their backs and were immediately prey for pirates. So in 1537, Spain came up with a convoy system where two man-o'-wars would escort the fleets from the New World back to Spain. There were two fleets, the Flota de Nueva España, which traveled to Veracruz, Mexico, which picked up local goods as well as goods from the Philippines, which were shipped east to Mexico and then transported overland by mule train to the Caribbean. The other fleet was, and I apologize if I get this terribly wrong, the Esquadron de Tierra Ferme, which was sent to Cartagena, Colombia, which would pick up goods from South America and bring those back to Spain. And these shipping convoys became even more enticing to pirates after 1546, when Spain started mining for silver in Mexico and South America, and between 1546 and 1746, Spain mined and shipped over 40,000 tons, tons of silver back to Spain, making the Spanish Empire one of the richest empires in history. So during this 200-year time period, when this was going on, there were plenty of times when the Spanish ships would get hit by pirates, or even worse, the unseen threat, bad weather like hurricanes. There was no Doppler radar back then, giving them a clear-cut seven-day forecast. And all of these dangers were the price of doing business and par for the course and all that stuff. The thing that made the shipping galleon transport of 1715 so different was, in 1701, the Spanish king, King Charles, died without an heir, and since he was cousins with King Louis XIV of France, Louis XIV's grandson, Philip V, took over as King of Spain, and England and Holland and the Holy Roman Empire were like, whoa, 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 let's talk about this. Why does he get to take it? France was aggressively trying to take over control of more land in Europe, and if his grandson were King of Spain, that would just make France that much more powerful, which meant every single valuable resource and piece of silver that made its way from the New World to Spain would make the French and the Spanish alliance that much more powerful, which led to the War of the Spanish Succession. So England dug up all their old letters of mark and started basically deputizing pirates and merchants as privateers again, like they did in the War of the Great Alliance, with the explicit instructions to intercept any Spanish fleet carrying goods back to Spain. And it worked and the privateers were all over the Spanish galleons like white on rice until it got so bad that it grinded the transport of goods from South America to a halt for a couple years and resources in Spain started to dry up. So when the War of Spanish Succession ended in 1714, Spain was desperate to replenish their supplies of money and resources. So when the two fleets who had been camped out in Mexico and Colombia for a couple years finally set out for Spain, they were burdened with a much larger cargo than normal, and between the two fleets they were carrying over 15 million silver coins, aka pieces of eight, as well as gold bars, jewelry, exotic goods, spices, and whatever else. The plan was to meet up with Captain Antoine Dier, the commander of the French warship Griffin in Havana, and he was on his own separate mission to pick up 48,801 pieces of eight in Veracruz to bring back to France and together they would set out for Europe. After a two-day delay in Cuba due to preparing for the trip, they set sail on June 24, 1715. 
but they had to go north to Florida to catch the Gulf Stream. And about a week after they left, they were hit by a massive hurricane that wrecked the entire fleet of 11 ships and obliterated about four of them to the point that they have never been found. Gold and silver coins and bars, jewelry, Chinese porcelain, indigo, etc. were scattered all over the shallow water off the coast of Florida, and the death toll for the disaster was about a thousand men. Captain Antoine Dier was not familiar with the Florida coast and the reef system and didn't want to risk damaging his ship. So he stayed out to sea and didn't get caught up in the storm. So when he got back to Europe, everyone was like, where's everybody else? And he's like, uh, I don't know. So back on the Florida coast, the survivors of the wreck were just getting started with their own personal hell. No food, clean water, mosquitoes were everywhere, snakes and hostile natives, etc. waited for them. So after a week of surveying the damage, Admiral Don Francisco Salmon sent a small lifeboat with 18 men to Cuba for help. And about a week later, a rescue team from Cuba set out to save the remaining men. And I'm sure that was priority number two after collecting all the money. And once the cold weather set in and searching the coast for money got to be too difficult, they had retrieved about 5,000 silver pieces, which were being stored in a salvage camp near present-day Sebastian, Florida. And it was here, in January 1716, that the famous pirate Henry Jennings, along with his band of ruffians, came to the scene and attacked the salvage camp and made off with 87,000 pounds of silver coins, roughly 20 million pounds today. Amongst his crew was a new and eager shipmate, Charles Vane. But where did Charles Vane come from, and how did he end up in the Caribbean? The website denofgeek.com presents a theory and the site acknowledges that it's just a theory so hear them out den of geek says that vane wasn't actually english like many people say but that he may have actually been french and his last name was actually pronounced vanier and if so he was probably a protestant and would have been persecuted and between 1686 and 1688 French Protestants aka Huguenots were shipped to the island of Martinique to serve as indentured servants and the difference between an indentured servant and a slave was that an indentured servant was forced to work for a period of time and then they would be freed now unfortunately the time period was usually longer than their life expectancy so they were basically slaves however in 1688 French Huguenots of higher station started buying land on the island of Martinique and didn't really like the idea of other French Huguenots being slaves. People back then didn't have any problem enslaving people that didn't look like them, but if you were essentially the same, that put a bad taste in their mouth. So, in a peaceful rebellion, they left the island taking about one-third of the population with them, including the French Huguenot indentured servants. Most of the French Protestants took up residence in the English-governed islands, and it was reported that Vane was living in Port Royal in 1705, which would have given him plenty of time to anglicize himself, change his name to Vane, and is believed become a pirateer on one of Lord Archibald Hamilton's ships during the War of Spanish Succession. After the war ended, he made his way to the island of New Providence and linked up with Henry Jennings, which brings us back to the present, or the past present, or whatever. 
Needless to say, Vane liked this life, and so he stayed with Jennings for two more years. But things were about to change. In May 1717, a British trade council got together to talk about what to do about the trade between the Americas and Europe. Piracy was out of control and needed to be stopped, and so it was agreed upon to add more warships into the area of the colonies and the Caribbean, as well as offer a pardon to any pirate who would take it. In fact, many pirates threatened to attack Bermuda if they weren't given a pardon. A lot of pirates wanted to be out of the game. The privateer program had made mercenaries out of them, and this was all they knew how to do. But things were starting to get too real, and the stakes were getting too high, and a lot of them just wanted out and needed clemency. So, in January 1718, the new governor of New Providence, Woods Rogers, arrived in the Bahamas with the explicit instructions to clean up the piracy program in the Caribbean and offered a pardon to any pirate who would take it, basically saying, look, if you stop now, we will just look the other way on all the stuff that you have already stolen. And Henry Jennings was all about this because he never really wanted to be a pirate. He was a privateer for a long time, and he only became a pirate after the war. Then the privateering business dried up and he needed to make a living somehow, and raiding ships was his only skill set. So Jennings took the pardon, but Vane wanted nothing to do with this and hung out in New Providence for another month until February 23rd when the royal frigate HMS Phoenix arrived in New Providence to persuade the remaining pirates who didn't take the pardon to take it. Vane was arrested, but was let go on a gesture of good faith. He then left New Providence with a handful of swashbuckling scoundrels, and in no time he accrued 40 men, and before you know it, it's business as usual, capturing many ships, and began to gain a reputation as a ruthless pirate, even by pirate standards. Now to be fair, pirates typically weren't the violent monsters that the movies make them out to be. As I mentioned in the Henry Every episode, the 17th and 18th century golden age of piracy term that was used when someone became a pirate was, quote, going on the account, meaning that they were no longer working for the government as a privateer, but instead were basically going into business for themselves as an independent contractor. So, they were really only interested in making money and would avoid violence at all costs, not only because it was wrong and messed up, but also because it would bring unwanted heat on them from the government. But not Charles Vane. He had no problem abusing his prisoners. On more than one occasion, a captive escaped. In May 1718, a man named Nathaniel Catling, who was aboard the Bermudan sloop Diamond that was captured by Vane and the rest of the crew, had escaped and had reported to the governor of Bermuda that while he was held captive, Vane and his crew had beaten the crew of the Diamond, looted and burned the ship, and even hanged Catling and took turns slicing him with their cutlasses. Somehow, he survived. On a separate occasion, about a week later, Captain Edward North of the Bermudan sloop William and Martha testified to Governor Bennett of Bermuda that he too had been attacked by Vane and his crew, beaten, robbed, and that one of his men had been tied to the bowsprit and tortured with burning matches until he gave up the location of the loot. Now, the bowsprit is that large beam or spar that juts out from the front of a ship or the prow that provides the ship with another place to hoist a sail. You've seen them, they're the thing that has like the mermaid carved on the bottom of them in the movies and stuff like that. But by June, he was back in the port of Nassau on the island of New Providence and was terrorizing the town. And word got back to Governor Rogers that he was in town and in an attempt to stop him, a royal frigate sailed into the harbor with Governor Rogers on board and tried to block Vane in as he tried to leave. 
So once night fell, Vane reluctantly set fire to his own newly acquired French warship prize and set it sailing straight for Rogers and his fleet. As the British ships were distracted trying to avoid getting hit by the gigantic floating fireball, Vane slipped past them and out of the harbor reportedly laughing as he sailed away. Now, Vane and his men sailed north to the Carolinas where they captured a sloop and then a few weeks later they captured a brigantine operating as a slave ship with about 80 Africans on their way to the colonies to be sold into slavery. And from what I gather, Vane kept all the Africans as members of his crew. He then gave the sloop he had previously captured to his second-in-command, a man named Yeats, and he took the brigantine as his flagship, which he named Ranger. He seemed to always name his new flagship Ranger every time he upgraded. But as time went on, his reign of terror continued to get worse, and he kept treating his captives worse and showing very little respect to his crew, violating general pirate code in the worst possible way. He didn't fairly divide his spoils up between his men. Despite any flaws that pirates may have had, not being fair about the sharing of spoils was strongly frowned upon. So after enough of this abuse, Yeats decided in the middle of the night to take off with his sloop and the men on board, and once Vane found out about this, he tried to catch up to Yeats and even managed to fire off a broadside to Yeats, but Yeats was unable to get away. His fate is unfortunately not recorded in history, however, according to Captain Charles Johnson of the General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates, it is said that he did go to the colonies and ask for a pardon. Then, in mid-October 1718, Vane sailed to Ocracoke Island and met up with his old friend, Edward Thatch, a.k.a. Blackbeard. And something tells me that they were privateers together in the war. And when he got to the bay, according to Captain Charles Johnson's book, Vane fired a cannon shot high and wide, and Blackbeard returned fire with his own cannon shot high and wide as a type of pirate salute to each other, and the two old friends and their men spent a week partying in what is considered the largest pirate gathering to ever occur in North American waters. Even men and women from the surrounding towns came to the party. You know you got a killer party when randos are just like, dude, I have to be part of this. I can't even imagine how crazy pirate parties were. I don't think I could handle them be perfectly honest. By late October, Charles Vane and his crew said goodbye to Blackbeard and him and his men went on their way. Within a month, on November 22nd, 1718, Blackbeard and his men were killed. Vane continued on his reign of terror up and down the coast of the colonies and in the Caribbean for another month, raiding ships and treating his captives and his crew like garbage, and his men were getting sick of it. One of the crueler punishments was called keel hauling which was when a man was thrown overboard and dragged underwater either across the entire width of the hull or even the entire length of the ship. That sounds terrifying. On top of that, Vane was notorious for picking on ships that were smaller and weaker than his. This almost guaranteed that you would win the day and take the spoils, but it also meant that the spoils that you were winning were less, and his men were getting tired of watching these big cash cow ships a gamble to attack as they may be just pass them by. So in November 1718, Vane and his men came across a large, well-armed French frigate 
and Vane refused to chase after it, and some of his men, led by a man named John Rackham, argued with Vane, saying that it was worth the risk to try to capture the ship, but Vane said no, and in pirate code, you could pick on the captain, you could walk in his quarters, you could eat his food, but in battle, the captain's orders were absolute. So being the good pirates that they were, they backed down for the night, but the next day, they orchestrated a mutiny and Vane was accused of cowardice and relieved of his duty. And considering all the heinous things that Vane did, I'm surprised that they didn't just kill him, but they didn't. They gave Vane and about 15 of his loyal followers one of the brigantines and they sent them on their way. And after that, the remaining men elected John Rackham as their new captain. That man would go on to live by the name Calico Jack. But that's a story for a different episode. So Vane and his men went south into the Caribbean and started to rebuild their fleet and had five ships by December 1718. Then, according to Charles Johnson's book, A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates, in February 1719, Vane and his fleet were hit by a hurricane off the coast of Honduras that separated the ships and destroyed his. He ended up surviving only to end up on a remote island in the Bay of Honduras. Unfortunately, there was nothing to help him from his obliterated ship and he only survived due to the generosity of passing turtle fishermen, so he basically lived on turtle. Then one day, an old buccaneer friend of his named Holford came by the island and saw Vane, and Vane thought this would be a great chance to get off the island, so he was like, Holford, old buddy, old pal, can I get a lift? Not only had Holford gone legit and couldn't be seen with notorious pirates of the worst kind, but he was also like, dude, Charles, I know exactly who you are, and I'm not about to let you on my boat just so you can turn my men against me and take my ship. So Vane was like, come on, man, don't do this to me. Help an old friend out. Then Holford said, look, I'm going to go down the bay and be back in about a month, and if you're still here, I will bring you to Jamaica myself to be hanged. So Vane was like, dude, what would you have me do? How am I supposed to get off this island? And Holford was like, there are plenty of dories on the island. Just take one of those. And a dory is a shallow draft rowboat. And Vane is like, you want me to steal someone's boat? And Holford is like, dude, what are you talking about? You steal people's crap all the time. Now all of a sudden you have a conscience? So Holford leaves. And about a week later, another fisherman comes to the island who doesn't know Vane from a hole in the wall. And Vane asks the fisherman for a lift. And the guy says, sure. So he picks him up and they are on their way and it looks like Vane is about to get out of this jam and basically get away with all of his crimes scot-free. But as the fisherman's boat is leaving, he runs into Holford as Holford is making his way back and the two know each other very well. And the fisherman invites Holford on board for dinner. And while he's on board, he passes the cabin, looks down into the hold and saw Vane working. And Holford went up to his friend and was like, do you know who that is? And the captain of the fishing ship was like, oh, just some castaway I picked up. Seems like a good worker. So Holford told him, that's Charles Vane, the pirate. And the captain was like, really? Then I don't want him on my ship. So they agreed that Holford would go back to his ship and send a few of his men on board to apprehend Vane at gunpoint. And he was brought back to Spanish Town, Jamaica. And while most pirates' trials were pretty speedy, Vane rotted in prison for over a year until he was finally tried 
on March 22, 1721, hanged on March 29, 1721. And according to Charles Johnson, he went out like a complete punk, never repenting for any of his crimes and crying like a baby. In vain was then added to the fraternity of executed pirates like his friend Blackbeard, whose bodies were left on display at the entrance to the harbor as a warning sign to other pirates who dared to test the waters. Charles Vane has been featured in the 2014 TV show Black Sails, played by Zach McGowan, which serves as a prequel to Robert Louis Stevenson's classic book Treasure Island. And Tom Padley plays Vane in the 2021 Netflix docuseries The Lost Pirate Kingdom. So that's it. That's the story of Charles Vane. And I appreciate you uh, hanging in there with my voice sounding the way it is. It's it's, it's just like razor blades right now. But uh, I love doing this. I don't want to take a week off. Uh, I don't want I, I want to make sure that I get it out as close to Monday as humanly possible. So um, we'll be back next week and it'll be hopefully better. I can't imagine why it wouldn't be. But uh, uh, I'm glad that we did another pirate and then we got back to the golden age of piracy. And uh, we're just going to keep on go- going with this kind of pattern of land, sea, land, sea, land, sea. I kind of like uh, I like doing that. Um, so. Uh, again, uh, Ryan at the stolen goods podcast.com. If you want to drop an email or, uh, the stolen goods.buzzsprout.com where you can check out that website and it'll, it'll show you all the platforms that you can listen to this on. If you want to share it with your friends. And again, um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or audible or anybody else that has some sort of rating system, I'd appreciate it. If you drop some stars, uh, a comment, if you're enjoying the podcast and, um, we'll be back next week. And uh, we will, I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to do something, though, so uh, it'll be a bandit. And uh, so have a great week, and I will talk to you later.